Well, Christmas is here. It's like every year I say, I cannot believe it's already here. You ever do that? Like, oh man, it's like less than a month. Well, I love Christmas. I love all the trappings around it. But there's one thing you may not know I don't like. Would you like to know? Okay. I do not like the pressure to put up outside decorations <laughs> that I receive from my family. Because when, you, when we put them out, it's like your, your hands get frozen. And in the back of my mind, I know what's going to happen to these decorations. I got to go take them down in February. Well, God kind of convicted my heart, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm a real strong Christian and all that. And I love my wife and I really want to, you know, meet her in ease because she likes those outside decorations. So we put them up. I thought I'd show them to you. So there you go. <laughs> See? <laughs> no, it wasn't quite that bad. We did put some up, but I have to say my attitude was not that great. Okay. Well, today we continue in our series in the book of Mark. And Jesus used a couple of teaching techniques. One of them was questions. One of them was stories that we call parables. And as we continue in this series today, we're going to actually see those two. And I'm going to actually start out by asking you a question. Well, actually, you're going to ask yourself the question. So I'm going to put this question up here. And I want you to ask yourself inside, just in your mind, okay? On a scale of 0 to 10, how important is spiritual health, spiritual development, spiritual growth to you. Don't say anything, don't raise your hand, don't, you know, do any of this, but I want you to really ask yourself. And I want you to kind of mentally put a tick mark somewhere between zero, is like, I'm not interested at all, or like, you know, a 10. So we're going we're gonna to come back to that. That's what we're going to really build this whole message around. And so to build upon you thinking about this and getting an answer to hopefully moving up the scale, he, I'm going to give you our big idea right up front. I'm going to share today five practices that we'll see from the book of Mark that indicate a spiritually healthy follower of Jesus. Now to further get you thinking, I'm going to give you the first half of each one of those five. Okay. You reveal, yeah, I got some verbs here, and then we're going to fill in the blank right here. You reveal something, spiritual maturity, you're going to reveal something. You attend to something. You act upon something. You rest upon something. And you acknowledge something. So, you reveal, attend, act upon, rest, and acknowledge. And so, I'm going to fill out what the rest of those statements are as we go through this message today. We are going to be in Mark 4, 21 through 34. If you want to get your Bibles or get your uh, iPhone app, do that. I'm going to read this out loud. So if you want to stand, would appreciate if you do that. Mark 4, 21 through 34. Let me get my spectacles on here. Mark 4, 21 through 34. So just follow along as I read in your Bible, or you can just listen, okay? He, that is Jesus said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. 
Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. We'll explain that in a little bit. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. He said that statement twice. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. And though he does not know how, all by itself the soul produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. In the last few verses. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Second times he talks about the kingdom of God. Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Okay, you can have a seat now. Wonderful, wonderful group of verses there. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of jump to the end. I'm not going to go through sequentially. I'm going to jump to the end. I think you'll see why I'm going to do that. So, the end, he talks about these, this key word. What's the, what's the key word in that section right here? What do you think it is? It starts with a P. Parables. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is the key word in that section. Then, now, what is a parable? Well, first of all, Jesus was the master teacher. He taught like nobody ever taught to that point, and he's taught like nobody has to this point in history. He's a master teacher. In fact, I even wrote my, I, some of you may know I, I'm a writer. I wrote a book on this. I just got a picture up here. It's called a Jesus Gave a TED Talk, Eight Neuroscience Principles the Master Teacher Used to Persuade His Audience. What I did was I looked at how Jesus taught in the Gospels, then looked at the current neuroscience of learning and communication and combined the two. Now, I have some freebies today. I have three of these I'm going to give away. I'll be at the Welcome Center. First come, first serve. Don't run over anybody. If you would like one of these, the only requirement is, obviously, you get there first, but that you'll read it. So anyway, so this whole thing fascinates me. So let's back to this passage again. Jesus had the ability to take spiritual truth and condense it into short, pithy, vivid stories we call what? Parables, yeah. And basically, a parable is taking something common in life that people would understand, know about, and it'll make a, a spiritual application, draw from that common thing something, uh, a spiritual a lesson. So by using everyday illustrations, he would stimulate his listeners' minds, stimulate their attention, and awaken spiritual perception, just like it's supposed to do for you and for me. See, parables would stick in the minds of listeners because Jesus understood them so well, he knew what was common to them, and he'd pick one of those like, oh, yeah. I think I can see the, the parallel there. They remembered what he said. Jesus used the same, a lot of the same parables over and over. We see repetition in the Gospels. Mark includes a list here. And the parables were a major learning tool that Jesus used in speaking to the masses. Just like stories today, you can use stories at any level of age or, or intellect. Now, in this section we just read, Jesus uses several common images. You probably saw those. And he tailored them so that the, these people who were listening to him could really understand. Now, think about a wise learner. 
someone who's really a wise learner, when they hear something, do they just forget about it? No. A wise learner will take that and mull over it and think about it and massage it and uh, think deeply on how they could apply it to life. A wise Christian does the same thing, and a wise Christian wants to uh, seek out the master teacher's company. And for uh, a fact, Mark writes here that after Jesus taught the masses, what did he do? He spent time alone with his disciples. His disciples lingered. They wanted to know more. They wanted to know these deep meanings from these parables. So you see, to learn from Jesus doesn't happen passively. It, it really won't. It's like sleep learning. You can't, <laughs> there, there, learning doesn't happen sleep. Years ago, there was an old Disney movie. and There's this really dumb jock, and he had to pass these courses to be able to play football. So what they did was they put earphones on him and somebody just spoke in the, in, into the microphone all night to kind of help him sleep learn. That does not work. <laughs> just like learning about Jesus doesn't happen passively. Rather, it takes intentionality on our part. And it's not just collecting spiritual information, but truly learning spiritual truth so that it transforms us. So what were these images? There's the image of a lamp. He mentioned a lamp, and this refers to the word reveal. Mentioned hearing. This refers to that word, attend. He mentioned the word act, and he also said something like, uh, to whom is given uh, much, much be required. This kind of gives an idea of the scales. The next one is rest, and this relates to what a farmer does in the growing process. And then acknowledge, this relates to the little tiny seed, the mustard seed. So let's kind of unpack these. He says, he said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? It's a rhetorical question. Of course, you know the, the answer. Is. In those days, they didn't have electricity. And they had lamps like these. They're a little small. They're about that, that size. And they put olive oil in them, a little wick, and they light it. And so at night, when it gets dark, they bring it in. Now, think how foolish it would be if you lived in that day and time. And you had a lamp, and it was getting dark. And you came in to the house. You got your lamp, and you lit it. You got a basket and you put it, the basket on top of it, or, or, or a bowl, or you put it under the bed. Would that make sense? Of course not. It's a rhetorical question. We say, well, yeah, that makes sense at all. Same thing about us. If we were uh, in our day and time, we don't use lamps like this, but we have lights. It'd be foolish. You go into your house and turn off all the lights so you can't see anything. You know, stumble around your house and stump your toe. That's, you know, lights are meant to be turned on, right? So, what he's saying, instead of covering it, you put it on a stand so that it benefits everybody in the house. Actually, in the Old Testament, a lamp would sometimes be used as a word picture for God or the coming Messiah or the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Here it fundamentally means this lamp here is the lamp of God, Jesus, who Matthew calls the light of the world. It refers to Jesus as the one who has brought light into our broken world so that we can know God. We come into relationship with him. You see, light is good. We use light to show us the way we need to go. So Matthew says that we, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to be this light bearer. And the very nature of a source of life is that it can't, of light, it can't help but give off light. If it's real, if it's a real source of light, it can't help but give it off. Just like a true believer can't keep his or her light from shining unless what? They intentionally conceal it like someone who put a bowl over the lamp. So guys, understand, if you're light, if you've experienced Christ's light, you, you will shine. 
through your deeds and through your words and your, at your work, at home, when you put up Christmas decorations outside. <laughs> a light does not give light for itself. And we don't admire the light, but rather we admire what the light illuminates. So, our lifestyle of words and good deeds should reflect well upon Jesus. Going into the uh, first Peter, Peter says this. He says, live such good lives among the pagans. That's people that don't know Christ. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may what? See your good deeds and what? Glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's go back to Mark here again. It says, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. What is he saying there? Well, at this time, this was written uh, in, in this time of Jesus' life. Jesus' role and why he came was hidden, partially hidden. Most people didn't under, fully understand it. And throughout the Gospels, the Gospels would, would write about these certain key disclosure moments when these it's insights about Jesus were revealed. And ultimately, who Jesus was, was finally fully revealed in what? His death and his resurrection. So the light of the world, Jesus, did not come ultimately to be hidden, but to be what? Revealed. And you and I are to be the revealers. God's purpose for sending his son was to bring light and reveal truth, and he uses us to do that. So next he writes about this thing of hearing. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, we understand about God when we hear his truth, like what's happening right now. You are hearing. You are listening. And I've said often, you guys are a great group to teach. I mean, you really, really dial in. Now, in the original language, uh, in, in the Greek, actually, he who has ears to hear is, 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 is in there three times. The NIV only translates it twice. Now, Jesus often uses this phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does he mean? He means this, pay attention. That's what he means. It means pay attention to what I say, Pay attention to the meaning of it and pay attention to what you're supposed to do with it. Now, let me give a little bit of a, a little brain science of the, about learning. Anybody want to hear a little brain science about learning? Three people. Okay. Y'all come up here and we'll have a little conversation. No, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Attention is crucial for learning. Nothing gets learned unless it is attended to. Uh, you're thinking, well, that's not brain science. <laughs> but it is true. You're not going to learn anything unless you pay attention to it. Now, God made our brains to store information. And the neuroscience term is where these, this information is stored. is called a schema. Say that with me. Schema. And uh, the way I would liken it to is to like a manila folder with a bunch of with the subjects in those manila folders. So imagine a bunch of, now we don't have manila folders in our brain, but you kind of get the word picture. All these manila folder type storage places that store information about stuff. Now, let's just imagine this is, uh, on this manila folder is the word dog. How many people have dogs? Okay, but you, how many love dogs? Why was that not 100%? You must, oh, cat lovers, that's what it is. Okay, so anyway, 
a schema would be like a neural manila folder. But just imagine this is a folder, and you got all the stuff in there about dogs. You got pictures of dogs, you got a picture of your dog, maybe you have some old CDs of dogs you've had before, you got articles you put in there, all the stuff about dogs. Now, in that folder, as you have learned about dogs, you have this information so you know what to do when you see a dog. What do you do when you see a little dog that's kind of like, well, they don't smile. Uh, you wag his tail. Well, you want, what do you want to do? Yeah, you want to pet it. But your brain is uh, thinking of all that stuff you have in that folder, like, okay, is this a nice doggy? Can I pet that doggy? Or is it a doggy I want to stay far away from? If it is a 100-pound uh, German shepherd chasing you, you probably are going to say, bad doggy. And on the other hand, you have a little three-pound uh, chihuahua. You don't have the little, it's like. See, because of what you know about dogs, you know how to respond to dogs. Now, take that parallel on a deeper level. We have these neural manila folders in our brains filled with, let's just say, spiritual development subjects. Now, they're not, when, we, when information is stored in our brain, it's not in one place, but it's disseminated. So the better hearer we are, we have ears to hear, as Jesus said, the more truth about God gets placed in our spiritual neural folders. Some people have pretty slim spiritual folders like that. There ain't much there, okay? Some people, because they're so hungry for God, their manila folders look like that. Stuff full of all kinds of stuff. Now, let me, let me qualify something here. I'm not talking about just information. Information about God and the Bible. I'm not talking about just information. It's, it's necessary, sure. Rather, I'm talking about this. The more and more spiritual truth that you put in your manila folders, the more you expose yourself to spiritual truth with your reader, study, or come to church or in, in a small group, the more material, so to speak, the Holy Spirit has to draw upon to seep into your heart and into your behavior and your attitudes. That's the way spiritual growth works. Now, this relates to the next verse. And he says here, with the measure you use, remember the scales, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, what is he saying here? This is the principle of use or lose it. You know how that works, right? Use it or lose it. It's a pretty common uh, term we use. The more time and energy you put into something, the more you're going to become like that. The more attention you give to something, the more you're going to become like that. The less time and energy you put into something, you're going to become less like that. The less attention you give to something, you're going to become less like that. The more you know about something, the more you can know even more about that subject. The more faithful you are in carrying out your responsibilities, let's just say at work, the more faithful you are, your boss notices, he gives you more responsibilities and more blessings. But if you're not faithful, responsibilities decrease and so do blessings. You get demoted, those kind of, kind of things. This use it or lose it principle applies to our spiritual lives as well. Now, I'm not implying we lose our salvation. Scripture is clear we don't do that. But the more we listen to the word of Jesus with, with spiritual perception, and the more we apply it, guess what? The more truth God is going to give you. In fact, one version translates it like this. To those who listen, pay attention to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, they're not paying attention. 
Even what little understanding they will have will be taken away from them. Use it or lose it. Now, goes on to say it. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God, remember he talked about that twice. It's like, a man scatters seed on the ground. This is a farmer, okay. Night and day, whether he's sleeping or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. And here's the key point here. Though he does not know how. It says, all by itself, the soil produces grain. And then talks about the progress of growing things. First the stalk, and then the head, and the full kernel. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it. In other words, he harvests his grain. Now, Jesus could, he's describing the kingdom of God here. He could have used grandiose language. He could have said, the kingdom of God is like the universe with all the galaxies out there. Or the kingdom of God is like the vistas of a Grand Canyon or Banff. Or the kingdom of God is like a powerful kingdom on earth. He didn't do that. Rather, he used the process of germination to describe it. That mysterious process of germination. He used a common illustration. Now think about it. A seed is not spectacular. Nor does its initial growth attract attention. And a good farmer understands two things. There are some things he can do, he should do, and some things he cannot do. What does a good farmer need to do? Put the seed in the ground, till the ground up, get the weeds out, water it, fertilize it, those kind of things. Those are the things that he's supposed, supposed to do. Yet ultimately, he is dependent on this mysterious process of germination and growth and plant growth. And these processes are happening independent of his own effort. He can't speed it up. He can't change the forces of nature. Now, Jesus is not negating the fact that the farmer does have responsibilities. We, we understand. That's kind of intuitive. But, he, but for the farmer, the actual growing process is still a mystery. It's mysterious. So he likens the coming of the kingdom of God to the process of plant growth that is strangely independent of human activity. Despite its inauspicious beginnings and the absence of human involvement, the seed contains within itself the fruit-bearing potential. You see, growth depends on God. Growth is gradual. It's often imperceptible. We can nurture our growth through making wise decisions, exposing ourselves to God's Word, practicing spiritual disciplines, but ultimately, God's the one that causes the growth. Now, I was putting this talk together. I, I'm, I'm a news junkie, so I, I watch a lot, well, I don't watch a lot of news online, and like, man, our world is just like, just feel like it's just going down, 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 down morally. And maybe you, you agree that way. Well, if you do, sometimes it's easy to get discouraged and full of despair. Like, what's our world coming to? But Jesus here shows how confident he is that in God's time, his kingdom will prevail. God is working out his purposes, often unseen to us, just as that plant's growth is inevitable, so is the work and the power and the kingdom of God being worked out. And as finally, you know, the farmer, the last thing he does is what? He harvests his stuff, right? Well, the parallel there is that one day Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to make everything right. We just need to be patient. Now, Jesus uses another well-known parable. Kingdom of God, again, he's just talking about here. What parable shall we use to describe it? He uses a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed plant in the ground. Yet, 
When planted, it says it grows, it becomes the largest of all the garden plants. These big branches and birds are in those branches. Now, he's, remember in this section, he's used two parables with seeds. One of them, he's focusing on the process of growth. Now he's talking about using a tiny seed, the fact that things often start with small beginnings. Jesus is not giving a lesson in botany. Now, if you you're, a, you're a kind of horticulturist and you understand seeds, you know they're smaller seeds than a, than a mustard seed. This is kind of a proverbial thing with a person at that time, living at that time. You talk about mustard seed, that was a, a description or painting a picture of the smallest thing, okay? So that's what he's really talking about here. Now, there, uh, there's one issue here. There's an inference. You think, okay, mustard seed, yeah, I guess a mustard makes a mustard for hot dogs, that kind of thing. Well, this particular mustard plant, if you really knew about it, there was a very uh, unwelcome feature about this mustard seed, or mustard plant. When you plant it and it would grow, it was so pervasive with seeds that it would literally take over that field that it was in. And so nothing else could grow. So the point Jesus is making is this. He likens the kingdom of God to something, now listen, undesirable. Because in that time, it threatened the field of legalistic Judaism, and today it threatens the world's structures. Now listen, Christianity is not looked on by much of the world with favor. You think, why not? You know, Christians have started all these hospitals and giving and helping. No. If you're a follower of Jesus, many parts of the world, including in our country, don't look upon you favorably. You see, Christianity is seen as not desirable like one of the qualities of this mustard uh, plant was that it was undesirable. You know why? Because Christianity requires repentance. Own you up to your sin. And the reality is, people like their sin. And they want to stay in their sin. And they want to keep their life central rather than making God central, which requires repentance. Now let's go back to our big idea again. Said I would give you five practices to indicate a spiritually healthy follower of Jesus. You reveal something, you attend something, you act upon something, you rest in something, you acknowledge something. So let me give these to you now, okay? First one is this, you reveal your faith. That's that idea with the, with the, with the lamp. A spiritually healthy believer won't conceal or hide the fact that they're a follower of Jesus. Truth is meant to be seen, not concealed, even though it may cost us something. Even though it may be costly to share that truth, to stand for Christ in this world. Now, we're called to share that truth with graciousness, okay, not, not in a mean way. If you look throughout history, Christians have been persecuted for standing up for Jesus, believing in Jesus, and many of like martyrs, there have been martyrs throughout the ages, even, even today. Now, the reality is we live in a world that's going to make it harder and harder. Canada, harder and harder to be a, a, an outspoken Christian. To be, able to, make, to be able to stand for truth and speak about truth. The reality is, guys, persecution's coming. And we need to be ready for it. And Jesus is saying, just as incongruent it would be to hide a light under a bowl, the same is so when we hide our beliefs and our faith. The parable reminds us to don't hide your faith. Don't hide your faith, even though you may fear rejection, or you may fear getting canceled, or you may feel the, uh, that you're going to be kicked out of the group. We are light bearers, and we're supposed to share that light. So practice one, you reveal your faith. You don't hide it. Here's practice two. You attend to that which will build your faith. That's the idea of he who has ears to ear, 
Listen, remember I said a while ago that actually in this little short passage, uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, was, is, would be in there three times in the original language. Jesus is saying what? I said it a moment ago. Pay attention. Pay attention to truth. Pay attention to what will help you grow. Pay attention to it. Pay attention to what it means. Pay attention to what you should do to, to apply it. Pay attention to your spiritual leaders who want to help you grow. Remember, nothing gets learned unless you pay attention to it. We must put a lot of truth into those neural manila folders. So practice two, you attend to, you pay attention to that which will build your faith. Here's number three. You act upon the light you now have. This is this image of, of measure. Remember, we read a moment ago that Jesus says, with the measure you use it, will measure to you. That's the use it or lose it principle. We say, guys, with knowledge comes responsibility. If you know the truth, and you know what that you're supposed to act upon that truth. And you say, no, you're not going to get more truth. Oh, you may get it cognitively. But if God has revealed to us his truth, he says, this is what I want you to be. This is what I want you to do. And you say, no, God, I can't do that. You have stopped in your Christian life. You're not going to move forward. We must act upon what we know. Act upon the light we now have. Here's number four. You rest in the providence of God. Remember the farmer sowing? He sows seed, he fertilizes, he pulls up the weeds, he pulls, gets out the rock, those kind of things. And he just must trust the fact that this germination process is going to happen. He has no control over it. Ultimately, God causes us to grow. We have the responsibility to invest in what will build us up practice spiritual disciplines, to hang out with God's people, to come to church like you're doing. But ultimately, God's the one who grows us. The Lord grows us. And you must simply rest in the providence. His providence said, you know, I know God is working. Sometimes I may not be able to see it, but I know he's working. In fact, the apostle Paul had to deal with this. They had an issue in Corinthian church. He lists this guy named Paul. Apparently, he's a really, really smart guy, a great, uh, great Christian speaker. And he says, what? What after all is Paulus and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. And what was happening is they were kind of like, some people were saying, I like Apollos. Yeah, he's, he's, he's really a great teacher. Well, I like Paul because he's emotion. He's, he just presents emotion when he preaches. It's kind of like today. Maybe not so much in Canada. But in the U.S., it's like, now, I like this preacher. This preacher really gets to me. This one, no, not so much. So be careful getting caught up into that. But here's the point he's making. He says, I planted the seed, Paul. Paul watered it. Who made it grow? What does it say? Say it again. God made it grow. Right. Colossians 2, 19, he says, God causes it to grow. You see, spiritual growth is ultimately a mystery and how God brings it about just like that process of germination is a mystery. Yet it happens. It's God's grace at work and we can trust that he is at work even though we don't see it. Practice five. You acknowledge that small beginnings will yield great results. That's the mustard seed. You see, God's work is really out of proportion to what was put in, like the illustration of the small mustard seed yielding a big tree. That's God's grace at work again. It's not like, you know, if I, if I do 10 units of spiritual stuff, well, then I get 10 units of blessings back. No, no, it doesn't work like that. Actually, 
God's grace far exceeds our expectation. We apply ourselves. We intentionally do what we must do like a farmer must do when he's farming. Ultimately, God grows us in multiples far beyond our efforts. So don't minimize small things. And a little aside here. You know why? As you think about the, the beginnings of Christmas time, where was Jesus born? In a, you know, a ritzy hotel? He was born in a stable which may have been carved out and placed in the hill. And there was bed was, not one of these little beds that has little, ding, 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 you know, things that run around, you know, whatever it is that babies can look at. No, it was a cattle, that's where the cattle got their food. They cleaned it out, they put Jesus in there. Christianity began with such inauspicious beginnings. Now, let me say this, never minimize small beginnings. You may think, you know, Charles, I'm not, I'm not like you. You know, you, you preach in front of hundreds of people. I, I don't know how much contribution I really make to the kingdom. Let me tell you what, if you're faithful and what God has called you, no matter how small you may think it is, God sees that and he's working. He is growing just like that little tiny mustard seed will grow into this great big tree. He's going to do that for you. You're in, you may never know the influence you're having, but be faithful to what he's called you to do. All right. I began with this question. On a scale of 0 to 10, how important is spiritual health to be? And I ask you to kind of make a tick mark where you would think you would, you would land here. Where did you land? Are you, are you kind of over here? And maybe you need to start thinking, how do I really move that up? Because I, I really want to prioritize my spiritual life more. What needs to change? Gave you the big idea, these five practices. These five practices where you reveal your faith. You don't hide your faith. You attend to that which will build your faith. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You act upon the light you have. Remember that principle? Use it or lose it. You rest in the providence of God, just like that farmer knows the germination is going to happen. And you acknowledge that small beginnings will yield great results, like the mustard seed. So my question for you is this. What do you need to do to move in that direction to place a greater priority on your spiritual life. What do you need to do? That has to be brain science. What do you think God, what is God impressing on you? You know, Charles, as we think about Christmas, you know, and you go into the stories and you hear a little more about the Christmas carols, it makes you think about God a little bit more. What maybe is the Holy Spirit impressing on you to do or change to move up in priority of, what, of your spiritual life, how important it is to you? That's what I want you to think about this week. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we know that grace is just something we can't, we just can't fully comprehend that you, you bless us and you give to us much more than what, what we do. It's just your grace. It's your love. It's your mercy. Thank you so very much. Lord, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit will place some of the truth we've talked about today in those, manila, uh, those neural manila folders in the minds of those who are here today. And myself, Lord, I pray that we would be sensitive to those gentle whisperings of your spirit in our heart of maybe something we need to pull back from that's not healthy for our spiritual lives. Maybe there's something we need to add in as spiritual discipline. Maybe there's some relationships I need to build. But Lord, whatever it may be, I pray that your Holy Spirit will cue us this next week and remind us that you want us to make sure that on a regular basis we're at that upper end 
of making our walk with you a priority, recognizing that we must do what we must do, but ultimately you create the growth. Before I close uh, this prayer, I just want to say you may be here, you've never come to Christ. You saw these baptisms, and it's a picture of a life that's been changed, dead in their sins under the water as they came up, alive in Christ. Maybe you, you would have to admit, I'm not alive in Christ. I've never come to faith in Christ. Well, it's very simple. It's like A, B, C. A is admit that you've sinned. That's repentance. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, died for your sins. And C, commit your life to him. So if you'd like to do that right now, I invite you in your heart or under your breath to simply repeat this simple prayer. Now, the prayer is not magical, but it indicates the desire of your heart. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, just pray this prayer after me under your breath or in your heart. Here it is. Dear God, I admit I have sinned. By faith, I turn from that sin. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. By faith, I commit my life to Jesus. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, my prayer would be that there would have been several who secured their eternal destiny by placing their faith in Jesus just a moment ago. I pray this in your name. Amen.